0: People. It makes me feel younger, but uh, it's good to see you all. Let's get right into the Word of God. Acts chapter 8 tonight, beginning at verse 5. Please don't forget the book, on, the book uh, t- on my display table. I would like to not have to take any of these back to Florida. So if you have a donation, give. If you don't, grab one anyways. And it is the biography of my life in ministry. Acts chapter 8. Uh, would you accommodate me and stand for the reading of God's Word this evening? We're going to be reading verses 5 through 8 in the Word of God this evening, Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And we'll get the theme and the title of the message from the 8th verse. And there was great joy in that city. The title of the message this evening is Getting Great Joy to the Cities of the World. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless. Father in heaven, thank you for the wonderful, productive day that you gave me at the hotel, Lord, in accomplishing many administrative responsibilities. Thank you for the sweet fellowship I enjoyed with the pastor and his family. And Father, thank you for the good crowd tonight, Lord. I'm, I'm really impressed that the folks would come out on a very cold evening to your house on a Monday night. And so, Father, since they have made that effort, I am asking you to give me all that I need to help them and to encourage them and to challenge them. Uh, Father, please use me and hide me behind the cross. Glorify yourself as we look into these wonderful truths that are really just on the surface of Scripture, Lord. Help us, Father, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We live in a day and age of great discouragement. People are unhappy, people are uh, saddened, people are uh, disappointed with life, disillusioned with life, if you will, and uh, they need to meet the person of joy, When I first went to Eastern Europe because of what communism has done to all of Eastern Europe, let alone the gypsy people who are on the very bottom of the totem pole, Uh, communism just zaps a man's ambition and desire to better himself. When you work and work and work and turn everything over to the government, you just don't have a desire. So alcoholism is very high in Eastern Europe. But I met very discouraged, very unhappy people. I remember when I would go to the open-air markets and pass out literature i learned enough romanian just to be able to witness a little bit and just to give them a piece of paper that said good news and i'd see their faces smile they didn't know what was on the piece of paper but they were hoping for some good news and so as as i went to the gypsy villages and saw the poverty and the disease and and uh, just so downtrodden uh, they were just people who were not very happy but we introduced to them the person of joy, the Lord Jesus Christ, and many of them received him and their lives were dramatically changed. It doesn't necessarily mean that it changed their, their, their poverty or it changed their, uh, their food or anything like that, but it did give them uh, the hope of eternal life in heaven. And many of my people uh, may die hungry, but they'll die and go into the bosom of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how does great joy come to a people? We look at our, our chapter our, and our verses that we read for the message, how that great joy came to the city of Samaria. I believe outlined in these passages of Scripture are, is a pathway, a process, a prescription, if you will, that if we will follow it, we will see how great joy comes to a people. Now, if you notice in verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria now, if you know anything about the Samaritans, they were the half breeds of the Jews that the full blooded Jews did not want to associate with. They had polluted the Jewish bloodline and were worshiping everything but the true God. And they were, as a matter of fact, it says in John chapter 4, verse 9 that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. But God loves the Samaritans just like he loves all people. And in the fourth verse of John chapter 4, the Bible says that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. And if you know anything about the geography at the time of Christ, from where he was to where he was going, he really didn't have to go through Samaria, except for the fact that there was going to be a woman at a well that needed to hear the gospel. And so the Samaritan people uh, came to Christ. Do you know that we have never coined the phrase the good Roman? We have never coined the phrase the good Jew, but we have coined the phrase the good Samaritan, have we not? And as you study Scripture, you see Christ using the Samaritans as an example of true faith many, many times. So Jesus brought great joy to the cities of Samaria just like He has brought great joy to my people, the gypsy people. But how does great joy come into the cities of the world. When we think about our gypsy ministries in Kissimmee and Romania and Hungary, now working in the Ukraine and Pakistan and in India, how does great joy, how do we get great joy into the hearts of the peoples of the world when most of the world is in great despair? Uh, words like joy, words like happiness and contentment have been perverted in our materialistic culture in which we live today. But I want to look at our text verses. And with a short runway, see how great joy comes to the cities of the world. Now let me say this, I'm no theologian, Uh, I'm a surface preacher, but there's enough good stuff on the surface of Scripture that we can be edified. Let me tell you what the preacher's job is. In his study, as Paul says to Timothy, study to show thyself approved, a workman that not, needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's the preacher's job, to rightly divide the word of truth. And as he studies and he sees these wonderful truths Just floating on the pages of Scripture, he collects them like precious gold and nuggets of silver and gems, and as the preacher collects them, his job is to distribute them amongst God's people. And I'm going to share with you some wonderful truths just on the surface of the passages that we read this evening. Number one, how do we get great joy into the cities of the world? Here's the very first component. Here's the very first ingredient in our equation. It comes from verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Number one, there needs to be a preacher. There needs to be a preacher sent from God. That's the manpower to bring the message of great joy. In our story, Philip was the preacher sent from God. Who was the preacher that God used to bring you the gospel? Whether it was a piece of literature or a Christian radio broadcast or maybe a television Christian broadcast, there was a preacher. Someone gave you the gospel Uh, When I was pastoring our first work in Cleveland, Ohio, which started in 1990, very early, within a couple years after we were there, I had received a telephone call from a Romanian national who was just a little bit south of Cleveland in Akron, Ohio. He was pastoring a Romanian Baptist church. He told me over the telephone that he escaped out of communist Romania just to come to the United States to have the liberty to preach the gospel. He told me that under communism, uh, he was pastoring 10 churches because they were so short of pastors. Now, I really don't think you can pastor 10 churches. You might be able to preach at 10 churches, but you really can't pastor them. But he had told me in that telephone conversation that he had made a promise to God that if communism were ever to fall, that he would go back to his homeland, to his community, and establish churches amongst the gypsy people because he was raised with them. Well, needless to say, that touched our heartstrings, and he invited us to his home, and he showed us a homemade video of the gypsies of Tinka, Romania, and we knew that we had to go firsthand and see it. This uh, man and his wife and family raised their support, moved back to Romania in May of 1995. Myself and another gypsy missionary, we followed this national back into Romania in June of 1995. Uh, to our dismay, he had moved to the bigger city and not to those gypsies in Tinka, Romania that we saw in the video, and that's what we wanted to be. And so we asked him if he would put us someplace near those gypsies. There was no hotels or motels uh, or, or any type of better breakfast or anything in this small town, and so he put us in an old broken-down boarding house, and, um, and there was no screens in the windows, so we had a lot of visitors every night. Uh, if there was water, it was cold. There were no restaurants at that time in this community. There was no way to cook in our apartment. My sister had sent with me two three pound hickory farm beef sticks. you know the ones you get at Christmas time, and I had taken with me a case of uh, of Raymond chicken noodle soup, you know the ones that are a hundred for a dollar, not really. And I took this because they were light, you know. And I took a collapsible sterno stove. I didn't know you couldn't take sterno on an airplane, but I did. And that's what we had. We had beef stick and Raymond noodle soup. And and we'd get some of the fresh-grown tomatoes, some of the greatest tomatoes I've ever eaten anywhere in the world. And we'd get some of the fresh-baked bread from the bakeries. But we didn't care about food. We didn't have a car. We didn't care about living conditions because we were there doing Acts chapter 2 mission work. And so the missionary lived, the, the national lived, Uh, about 40, 50 miles from us, so we didn't see him very often. But myself and the other missionary, we would just grab our backpacks and we'd walk off to different villages. Now, there's no such thing as a gypsy village or a gypsy town. Every village or town has a parcel of land that was given to the gypsies by the communist government. Matter of fact, you saw it in the video yesterday, some of those parcels of land. Always on the outskirts of town, near the dumps, near the, near the railroad tracks, and to keep them out of mainstream society. So when we went to the smaller villages, it was easy to find that parcel of land where the gypsies were. We ministered to them. We saw many come to Christ. But we wanted to get to the gypsies that were in the video. And that was in the town of Tinka, but uh, Tinka was a town of 5,000 people. And it wasn't quite that easy to find that parcel of land that was given to them by the communists. I spoke no Romanian, so I couldn't ask a national. But by the sovereignty of God, as I entered the town, there was a small gypsy boy, about six or seven years old. He was gazing into a storefront window. And I walked up to him and I said in the gypsy language, Roma," which means where are the gypsies? Now, there's no way he could have known that we were Baptists or preachers or missionaries. We had nothing visible to know that. Our Bibles were in our backpacks. But by the sovereignty of God again, he led us by the hand clear across town. We never would have found this parcel of land on our own. Clear across town, and he came to a small one-room house. Now, when I say a small one-room house, I'm talking about a house that's 12 foot uh, by 12 foot or 14 by 14 foot. When he came to the door, he didn't knock. He just pushed the door open and tiptoed in very quietly. I looked to the missionary that was with me, and I said, I think we should walk in the same way. And as soon as we entered this room, we saw right away why he had entered quietly. No one lived in this house. This house was specifically designated as a house of prayer, and gypsies would assemble there to pray. And he had tiptoed quietly because there were 10 or 12 gypsies on their knees in a circle praying they did not know we had entered. I want you to see the sovereignty of God again. Gypsies are bilingual all over the world. They speak the indigenous language of the host nation. and Of course, their native tongue gypsy, as I speak English and gypsies. And I heard a gypsy man praying out loud. And had he prayed in the Romanian language, I wouldn't have understood a word of his prayer. But the sovereign father had him pray in the gypsy language. And this is what he prayed. He prayed, God, send us someone. Send us someone to tell us the truth of the gospel, for we are very confused. Now, to understand that prayer, the year is 1995. Communism had fallen six years prior. And in those six years, every cult and his brother was coming from the West, confusing these primitive people, telling them that if they ate pork, they couldn't go to heaven, telling them that if they didn't worship on Saturday, they couldn't go to heaven, and telling them that if they didn't speak in tongues, they couldn't go to heaven. And you know the faiths that go behind those doctrines. He was genuine in his prayer. He said, Amen. He stood to his feet and opened his eyes. And I was standing right in front of him. I want you to see the sovereignty of God again. I'm, I'm four generations away from Eastern Europe. 5,000 miles away, separated by a little pond called the Atlantic Ocean. And I spoke the exact same dialect as those gypsies speak. Being the only uh, bilingual person in my grade school, I often wondered why I was the only kid who spoke two languages. And that day I realized. And as, I, as he stood up, I boldly said to him, in the gypsy language, we are the answer to that prayer. How would you like to get your prayers answered that fast? <laughs> I presented the gospel to him in the gypsy language. He fell to his knees Several in that room that were with him fell to their knees and prayed and received the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He was a professional accordion player by trade and would take his accordion to the prayer meetings to play Christian songs before they pray. Gypsies are very emotional people. They laugh hard, they cry hard, they fight hard, and they celebrate hard. And he grabbed his accordion. We went on, on the dirt roads of Think of Romania. There he began to play some songs. Before you know it, gypsies were coming from all over the community. I think they thought there was a party going on. And there on the dirt roads of Think of Romania... I preached the gospel again. Several were saved. We had our first baptism of August of that year, and the nucleus of the Mana Baptist Church of Tinka Romania had been established. The man that I heard pray and led to Christ is a man by the name of Giza Feketa. He is now the national pastor of four of our churches. There needs to be a preacher. We were the preachers in nineteen ninety five, and the preacher must obey the call of God upon his life. Isaiah chapter 6, here's what Isaiah says. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And he said, Here am I. Send me. Didn't God know that Isaiah was going to be the one to answer that call? But God wanted Isaiah to volunteer. God wanted Isaiah to answer that call. There needs to be a preacher. And the preacher must be sent. That's what missions is about, isn't it? Sending the preachers to the places of the world that don't have preachers. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. When I was an assistant pastor in Ohio, my pastor was six foot seven inches tall. I literally looked up to him. He wore a size 13 and a half triple E shoe. And sometimes when he would go behind uh, the platform to prepare to baptize, I'd follow him, and he'd sit down on a chair, and I'd untie those 13 and a half triple E shoes. And I'd pull off the, his socks off those 13 and a half triple E feet, and I'd see those feet, and you know what would go through my mind? Romans chapter 10 Verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. There needs to be a preacher. The story is told of a preacher by the name of John Harper, who was a widower on the Titanic the day that it sunk. And him and his sister and his little five-year-old daughter were on board. And as the ship was going down, uh, preacher Harper put his sister and daughter on a lifeboat, but he stayed in the cold waters of the North Atlantic floating on whatever he could float on, preaching the gospel. And one person who was a survivor said this, I am a survivor of the Titanic. I was one of only six people out of 1,517 to be pulled from the icy waters on that dreadful night. Like hundreds around me, I found myself struggling in the cold, dark waters of the North Atlantic. The wail of the perishing was ringing in my ears when there floated by me a man who called to me and said, Sir, is your soul saved? Then I heard him call out to others as he and everyone around me sank beneath the waters. There alone in the night with two miles of water under me, I cried to Christ to save me. I am John Harper's last convert. There needs to be a preacher." And that is the first ingredient of our story, the, uh, the first component of our equation to get to verse 8, that there be great joy in the city. Now I want you to see the second thing that needs to be in place in order for us to get to verse 8. First it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Not only does there need to be a preacher, but there needs to be a proclamation of Christ. And you'd say, well, preacher, what else is a preacher going to preach but Christ? Really? Really? I mean, I hear them all the time. They'll preach everything but Christ. There's one guy who packs out stadiums. His haircut must be $200. His dental work's got to be about 20 dollars His suits got to be about two grand. And you know what he says to me? He says, I'm good. I have a real problem with that. Because I have to look at this mug in the mirror every morning. I know that I'm not good. I heard him say in an interview that there are other ways to go to heaven than through Jesus. They all don't preach Christ. And I'm not going to tell you who the preacher is, but his initials are Joel thing. They all don't preach Christ. There needs to be a preacher who preached Christ. I said it yesterday. Christ needs to be lifted up. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Preacher, what a cushy job we have. We get to stand up for 30, 40 minutes and talk about the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's so all that other stuff that goes with the job makes it a little difficult. There must be a proclamation of Christ. Philip was always faithful to preach Christ you're in the book of Acts chapter 8 I want you to go verse 34 this is the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch and and he's reading a passage of of uh, of Isaiah and doesn't understand it and watch verse 34 and the eunuch answered Philip and said I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this of himself or some other man. Now watch now, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture, and what did he do? He preached unto him Jesus. Philip was faithful that every time he opened his mouth, he talked about the Savior, the Lord Jesus. There needs to be a preacher, but he must proclaim Christ. Watch now, at that same scripture, he preached unto Jesus. Cover to cover, it's all about Christ. Every book, every chapter is woven together with a scarlet thread of redemption. If you can't find Jesus in this book, there's something wrong. If you can't find Jesus in every book, and every chapter, there's something wrong. It's about Christ. And Philip was the preacher who proclaimed Jesus. It's, we preach the message of the good news. First Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15.1 Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. In Gypsy, it's the Lashivastia. In Romanian, it's Vestebuna. It means good news. What's the good news? That there's a Savior who came and lived a sinless life and died a vicarious death. He died in our place as our substitution. He was buried and rose again. Paul says in the third and fourth verse of 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you know the first of all which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We need to preach Christ, and we need to preach the good news. We need to preach Christ, virgin born. We need to preach His sinless life. We need to preach His miracles. We need to preach His crucifixion, His burial, His rising from dead, and His returning for His children someday. And I know what you're thinking. You, you're probably saying, oh, you Baptist preachers, you've been preaching about the coming of Jesus for 2,000 years. Yes, we have. And we're 2,000 years closer than the first sermon. He's coming. It is the message of Emmanuel. That's my favorite name for Jesus. Emmanuel, God is with us. It is the message of Christmas. Luke 2.11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It is the message of God's glory. That's Luke 2, 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. It is the message of great joy, and that's what we're talking about tonight. Verse 10 of Luke 2 says, And the angel said, And fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. It is the message of praise to God. Verse 13 of Luke 2 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. It is the message of God's peace. The 14th verse of Luke 2 says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. It is the message of God's light. Verse 9 says, The glory of the Lord shone round about them. Do we have great joy? Are we preaching the message of good news? Are we preaching Christ? First of all, there needs to be a preacher. Second of all, there needs to be a proclamation. But now I want you to see the third component. Look with me at verse 6. And the people with one accord, gave heed to those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. First, there needs to be a preacher. Second, there needs to be a proclamation of Christ. And then thirdly, there needs to be a people who are obedient to the messenger and the message. And I've entitled, subtitled this point, The Missing Link. Folks, could you imagine if God's people would do everything that God has told us to do of what this world could possibly be like. Now don't get me wrong, we live in a sinful world, we live in a cursed world, and there's always going to be problems. Job said, man is born a few days and full of trouble. But the truth of the matter is, do you really think we've done our job? Do you really think we've reached this nation? Have we really reached this, this, this community, your community with the God? Have we saturated the workplace where we work. Have we saturated our schools? Have we saturated our community? Are we really an army? Are we really an do, Because it's a war. Is it not? Is it not a war? And what lies in the balances? The souls of men and women and boys and girls. Souls that will spend an eternity in hell forever and ever and ever without any hope of redemption. And according to the Bible, there's a man who's still crying out for a drop of water. And he became evangelistic, didn't he? Help me. Send him to my five brothers, lest he come to this place of torment. His evangelism was a little too late, wasn't it? If we would really be the people that you unite with the man and the message, unite with the preacher and the proclamation, we could do great and amazing things. The people of Samaria united with Philip because he preached the right message. They united with Philip because he preached the truth. They united with Philip because he preached God's word. They united with Philip because he preached Christ. They united with Philip because he preached with God's power. Watch now, they united with Philip because his life matched what he preached and they united because they witnessed the power of God. They paid attention to what the preacher said and what the people did and what the preacher did and they followed the man sent from them and they got saved and what was their great joy in that city? And the Bible teaches that when a sinner gets saved, there's great joy in heaven. Luke chapter 15, verse 7 says, I say unto you, likewise, joy shall be in heaven. Over one sinner repented more than 99 just persons which need no repentance. The 10th verse of Luke 15 says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. Let me ask you, who do you think celebrates in heaven first when a soul gets saved? None other than the person of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Joy in heaven, and like spontaneous combustion, when Jesus is happy, all of heaven is happy. Amen? Now, I know the saying is, mama's happy, everybody's happy. That's here. In heaven, is Jesus. There needs to be a preacher. There needs to be a proclamation of Christ. There needs to be a people who unite with the man and the message. But watch now, we're not at verse 8 yet, are we? Help me, church. We've covered verse 6. We've covered verse 5. Verse 5 tells us we need a preacher. Verse 5 tells us we need a proclamation of Christ. Verse 6 tells us we need a people. But before we get to verse 8, we've got to cover verse 7. Quiet in here, and you're not looking at your Bibles. Not because it's numerical, but by the design of God, 7 comes before 8. There are three components that need to be put into the equation. A preacher... A proclamation of Christ and a people who unite with the man and the message. And we get to verse 8. Help me. Help me, class. Right? But watch now. There's one component that needs to be taken out of the equation. The lights are on, but nobody's home. Look at verse 7. For unclean spirits... Crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with him. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Here's the fourth point. Here's the component that needs to be taken out. First, there needs to be a preacher. Second, there needs to be a proclamation of Christ. Third, there needs to be a people who unite with the man and the message. And the fourth thing that needs to come out of the equation, there needs to be a pulling down of the strongholds of Satan. We will not see the victory. We will not see the joy here in your state, in your city, in your community, let alone around the world, unless Satan is taken out of the equation. And you say, oh, Brother Stevens, you, you work with the gypsy people. They're, they're demonically controlled. I, we understand, but we don't have problems with demons in America. Really? You know what we do in America? We camouflage it. We cover it up, we dress it up. My people of the are of the earth. They can't hide it. What you see is what you get. They're people of nature. But maybe if there's a preacher with a proclamation of Christ and a people who unite, watch now, they become an entity, they become a power that the demonic world just cannot take. And when Satan is taken out of the equation, there's verse 8. There's great joy in that city. Now don't don't anyone doubt my patriotism. I love this nation. It doesn't get any better than the US of A. In all its imperfection, it doesn't get any better than the US of A. And I've been around the block a couple times, 24 different countries. But you know what we've done in America? We haven't taken Satan out of the equation. We've put Satan into the equation. I'm tired that when there's a mass shooting at some school, someone gets in front of a microphone and a reporter and says, where's God? Well, you kicked him out of the schools a long time ago. What do we expect? But when the preacher does his job, and when Christ is proclaimed, and when the people unite, watch now, together we become a power. We become an entity that Satan and the demonic world cannot control. He said, preacher, you, is there really de- demons? Are they, do they really uh, uh, get a hold of people's lives? I preached at a church in Timișoara, Romania. The national, the, uh, missionary is Pete Heise. Pete Heisey is a dear friend of mine. I pre- we had a revival, and I preached that night, and there was a woman sitting uh, way in the back. She was all dressed in black. I thought she was mourning. But during my sermon, I watched her grab the chair in front of her, and she began to rock that chair. At the invitation, she came forward. She knelt to my left, and Brother Heisey went to deal with her. He said when he got there, she was just shaking and shaking and shaking. He presented the gospel to her, and she got saved. Her name was Maria Bogdan, and she was dressed in black because she was the local witch. And Maria Bogdan got saved. It was a week's revival, and she was at, she was the first one at the door every night. She got baptized. She didn't wear black anymore. She became productive in the church, and now she's in heaven. I preached in D- Vidin, Bulgaria, a town of 80,000 gypsies. They run everything but the police department and the hospital. I preached on the streets. Hundreds of gypsies came out. They were all on one side of the street. We were all on the other side of the street with our team. Pastor Gietza that was there. He was preaching then. And I gave the invitation, and a woman in her mid-twenties, almost right in front of me, stood up, got halfway into the street. I watched her eyes roll back into her head. She fell to the ground, her arms to her side. She began rolling. You couldn't duplicate the way she was rolling. Pastor Feketa ran out to deal with her Why I continued the invitation. Later, he told me that when he got to her, a masculine voice was coming from within her. And as much as a woman tries to talk like a man, she still sounds like a woman. And then we prayed. All of our team all prayed while Pastor Giza was with her. Later he told me that she came to her senses. He presented the gospel. She got saved. She jumped up in the air. She threw her arms up and said, I'm finally free. I'm free at last. She was demonically controlled. People knew that she was demon possessed. I work with fortune tellers. I work with prostitutes. I work with thieves. I work with drug addicts and alcoholics. I work with the what we would think in the world the lowest of the low, but God still loves the lowest of the low. But when there's a preacher and a proclamation of Christ and a people unite, we pull down the strongholds of Satan. Now here's what we underestimate in the local church, the power and the authority that God has given to the church. We underestimate that power. Who did he give the keys to the kingdom to? Who did he say what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, what you set free on earth will be set free? Who did he say that to? He said it to the church. We are the ones that have been given the mandates of Christ to carry the gospel to a lost and dying world. We are the ones who are supposed to be the preachers. We are the ones who are supposed to be the proclaimers of Christ. We are the ones who are the people who are supposed to unite and together in our unity we become a power and an entity and we pull down the strongholds of Satan. And you know what there is? Verse 8. Great joy in that city. Let me give you the verse to support the fourth point. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's the power that has been given to the local church, to the preacher who proclaims Christ and the people who unite with him. Let me tell you what missions conference is about. It's about God's people uniting with the proclamation of Christ and the preacher of Christ and working together, pull down the strongholds of Satan. We've watched these little video clips. They're short. And all the great stories are not there. There's a lot of stories back there. But you know what we're seeing? Glimpses of the pulling down of the strongholds of Satan. I'm not the only missionary who's got a Giza story. I'm sure every missionary's got a Giza story. Maybe more than one. I have more than one. But what pulled down the strongholds in Giza Fekitha's life? The gospel. A preacher that had to come 5,000 miles to tell him the truth. Satan must be taken out of the equation. You know, I was raised a thief. And you don't forget how to steal. Hello? And I got news for you, church. I'm still stealing. And you know what I'm stealing? The souls of gypsy men, boys and girls, gypsy women, out of the clutches of the devil. Jesus said this in Mark three twenty-seven: No man can enter into a strong man's house And spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, then he will spoil his house. We have been called to spoil the strong man's house. We have been called to take those out of his clutches that he's held. Together they chased away the devil that stole their joy and happiness in the first place. John chapter 10 verse 10 says the thief, that's Satan coming not for the steel to kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We preachers are sent to take the good news of Jesus Christ and to proclaim Christ to a people and to pull down the strongholds of Satan. When the demons and the devils can't take it, they run away and the product is great joy. God has called us, to rattle the devil's cage. Would you like to rattle the devil's cage? God's called me to rattle the devil's cage. He said, Preacher, aren't you afraid? No, oh, not because I'm some courageous guy, but I got first John chapter 4, verse 4 on my side. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The greater lives within you and I. The Holy Spirit didn't come to visit us. He came to dwell within us. The power of heaven. Watch, church, we have become partakers of the divine nature. Let that wrap around your theological mind just a little bit. Because I don't got the answer to it, but I know that I've been partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature of God, the divinity of God lives within you and I. You say, preacher, you don't know my thought life, or you don't know mine. The thought of foolishness is sin. I'm guilty. But watch now. We're sinners saved by the grace of God, and God wants to work through us, and God wants to use us in a mighty, powerful way. It's Monday night. I think it's about 20 degrees outside. Burr. And you're here. You didn't come for the food. You came for the Word of God. You're keeping a divine appointment with your Heavenly Father. And by the grace of God, He speaks through His servants. So what you're hearing tonight comes from the very bosom of God. Aren't you tired of just going through the motions? You know us independent Baptists. Wind us up, we'll go to church. Wind us up, we'll give the tithe. Wind us up, we'll go soul winning. Don't tell anybody, preacher, wind us up, we'll preach the sermon. Is that the way it's really supposed to be? Or are we supposed to do it in fervency and passion? Let me tell you what happened to me October 4th, 1980. Jesus reached his hand into my chest and got a hold of my heart and began squeezing. He hasn't let up and I don't want him to. And I get tired. I don't want to admit it, but I get tired mentally. I get tired physically and I hate to admit this one. I get tired spiritually. But he's holding on to my heart. Here's what happens to most of us. We forget the Damascus road that he met us on. Quiet in here tonight. We forget the sin he saved us from. Are you a threat to the devil? I read a bookmarker that said this. Live your life in such a way that when you get up in the morning and your feet hit the ground, Satan shudders and says, oh no, he's awake. What the God preacher that would describe my life? Here, let me ask you this question based on Scripture. I think it's Acts chapter 19. Does the demonic world know your name? Because if the demonic world knows your name, you're a threat to them. In Acts chapter 19, the sons of Sceva, if I pronounce his name correctly, decided they're going to cast out demons without authority. You all remember that story? They decide they're going to cast out demons without authority, right? And so they come to the demon-possessed, and they said, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we cast thee out. Remember that? And the demon said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? And the demons jumped on them. Now, I I want to take a glimpse, and I'm, I'm going to finish up here. I want to take a glimpse into the mind of the demonic world. This is the demon speaking. You ready? Here's what they say. Jesus I know. Well, obviously they know Jesus. He created them. He didn't create them as fallen angels. He created them perfect. They fell. But obviously they would know him, right? But they didn't stop there. Watch now. Jesus, I know. That's a given. Paul, I know. Well, Paul was made of the same stuff you and I are made of. But they equated Jesus and Paul on the same level. Why? They both were a threat to them. Because Paul was rattling the devil's cage. Was he not? Turning his known world upside down. I like to say he turned it right side up. Are you a threat to the devil? Do you want to be a threat to the devil? Do you want to see anybody burn in hell? Apostle Paul had a passion for his people. He said, I wish that myself were accursed of Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Romans nine three. Did you hear that verse? For I wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. We see in the mind of the missionary his compassion for his own people. What was he willing to do? Be accursed from Christ. Where are you accursed from Christ? Only one place. Hell. What's Paul saying? That he'd be willing to to go to hell for his own people, the Jewish people. You say, preacher, didn't Paul believe one saved, always saved? Of course he did. Then what is he saying? If I could, I would. Hello? Are you catching this? Okay, maybe we won't go to hell for anybody. But will we try to win them so they don't go to hell? That's what missions conference is about. And pastor doesn't Follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and say, We're going to have a conference and we're going to bring in a speaker and we're going to have a missionary and we're going to have a missions banquet just so we can say that we satisfied a, several days on a calendar. No, it's about God's people waking up, understanding what's really going on. You know what I call the church? The sleeping beauty. And you know what she needs? The kiss of her prince to awaken her out of her sleep in our slumber. Preacher, we need revival. There'll be no missions without revival. You won't have to beg people to go soul winning. You won't have to beg people to go uh, to give to missions. You won't have to beg young men to answer the call to missions if we're in the midst of revival. And some people call me an evangelist. Some people call me a missionary. You know what I like to call myself? A revivalist. To pump life back into the church by the blessed Holy Spirit. There was great joy in that city. How did it happen? The components are there. God doesn't put words in in the Bible just to fill up pages. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. There was a preacher. He preached Christ unto them. There was a proclamation of Christ. And the people with one accord. And verse 7, unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. There was the pulling down. Of the strongholds of Satan. And verse 8 says, And there was great joy in that city. It's all right there. The whole plan laid out by God for us. What do we need to do? We need some more preachers. We need preachers to proclaim Christ. We need the people to unite with the man and the message and together in unity pull down the strongholds of Satan so you can see great joy in West Bend in Wisconsin in the United States and around the world heads about and eyes are closed no one's looking around it's Monday night I know who's here the heart of the church the servers, the givers the cleaners those who help wherever they can tonight you heard from heaven God challenging you to be a threat to the devil God challenging you to rattle the devil's cage God's challenging you to be known of the demonic world because there's a preacher with the proclamation of Christ And the missing link is the people. And together we pull down the strongholds of Satan. Who by their uplifted hand tonight would say, Preacher, I'm saved and I thank God for it. This is your testimony. Would you put your hand up all over the auditorium? Preacher, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I thank God for it. Hold your hand way up high. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He's redeemed out of the hand of the enemy. Not based upon your merit, but based upon the goodness and grace and mercy of God. Yes, God bless you. May put your hands down. Maybe you're here tonight, you couldn't join these. How foolish of us to talk about reaching the world with the gospel when we miss you in our midst. You're here tonight, you don't have the peace to know that your sins are forgiven. You don't have the hope of eternity in heaven. You're not sure whether you're born again. And tonight you want to make sure that you're saved. And you'd raise your hand up and say, Preacher, that's me. I, wanna, I need to be saved. Would you pray for me? Is there one like that? Put your hand up. Is there one? I want to pray for you. I need to be saved tonight. Is there one? How about a church? Who would raise their hand and say, Preacher, I want to be a threat to the devil all over the auditorium. Yes, many hands raised. Yes, praise the Lord. Yes, praise the Lord. Maybe there's somebody here tonight. Who senses the call of God upon their life for full-time service—to be a preacher, missionary, Sunday school teacher—I don't know what it is that God wants you to do, but you'd raise your hand, and say, "Preacher, God's calling me; He wants me." Would you put your hand up all over the auditorium? God wants me. Is there one? Yes. God bless you. I see that hand. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Father in heaven. You make things so clear in your word. In order for us to get great joy into the cities of the world, we've got to have a preacher who proclaims Christ and a people who unites with him. And together, by your power, we pull down the strongholds of Satan. Father, there are many hands raised tonight who openly confess that they want to be a threat to the devil. They want to snatch souls out of his clutches They want to bind the strong man so they can spoil his house. And tonight we understand the authority and the power that you've given to the local church. You gave us the keys to the kingdom. We underestimate that. Father, help us to be an entity and a power. It's not too late, Lord, to reach our communities. You said, Work wild as day because the night comes when no man can work. The lights are still on, we still have opportunity. Not to change the economics, not to change the politics. That's not what we're here for. But to change the condition of a man's soul from lost to saved, from condemned to redeemed. Help us, Father. Help us to come to these altars tonight and to present ourselves to you and say, God, here I am. Use me, send me. In my world or the world, use me, Father. Bless this invitation, we pray in Jesus' name.